Let's begin by enjoying three sounds of the bell. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart out along with the sound of this bell. May all hearers awaken from forgetfulness and transcend the path of sorrows. So I received some questions, some questions about how we learn Zen. And I also received an encouragement to address those questions in the Dharma talk. So that's what I'd like to do, talk about how we learn Zen. And the questions I got were these, is there some kind of a Zen training program? How are we supposed to learn this stuff? I'd like to start in a very Zen way by telling a story. And then I have to tell another story to talk about the first story. So we'll do double, double layers of, of a Zen start here. Here's the first story. Purports to be a true story. In Japan, more than 150 years ago, there was a professor of Buddhism who knew a lot about Zen. And he asked one day to visit a famous Zen master. So they arranged a meeting and the professor came to the temple where the Zen master lived and they sat down together opposite each other. And the professor began talking and he talked and he talked and he talked. And the Zen master listened and nodded his head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the professor talked, and the professor talked, and talked. Eventually, an assistant brought in a tray of tea and put down in front of the two of them a tray with cups and a teapot. And the Zen master picked up the teapot and began to fill the professor's cup. And he filled the cup, and he kept filling the cup, and kept filling the cup until it began to run over. And the professor said, stop, stop. Can't you see there's no more room? And the Zen master put down the tea kettle and said, 
And so it is with your mind. So it is with your mind. So to make sense of that story, I want to go back in time and tell another story. Back maybe 1400 years earlier to the year 475. In the year 475, a man, a monk by the name of Bodhidharma lived in India. And Bodhidharma saw what was going on around him. Buddhism at that time was very intellectual. There were people who became experts in certain sutras. They would memorize these sutras. They would know all of the commentaries on the sutras. And they would go around and they would recite these sutras and these commentaries for money. And this was a largely a, a memorized uh, tradition at this point. So the people that did this had to be very, very smart and remember a great deal. You can even hear this echoed in some of our sutras. There's almost like choruses that you come back to, ways of saying things, and then the verse, and then you come back to the chorus. You could see how it was a memorized tradition. But for Bodhidharma, this just did not make sense. He thought, is this really practice? So Bodhidharma did a very brave thing. He left India, he left this tradition, and he took a boat and across land, traveled all the way to China. And when he got to China, he presumably learned Chinese, and then he famously went into a cave and sat facing a wall for six or nine years, depending on which source you rely on. Just think about this bold move for a second. Think about leaving your culture and your way of, of establishing an identity and establishing your hierarchy and turning your back completely on that, going to a foreign land, going into a cave and sitting still for year after year after year. He must have had great confidence, great self-confidence to go against that prevailing wisdom and to remain motionless. To turn away from all the creature comforts that he could have had as a scripture reciter. To walk away from being renowned and probably secure. It took a lot of guts. Bodhidharma is our first Zen ancestor. And understanding what Bodhidharma did helps us understand something important about how to learn Zen. So as Bodhidharma sat in this cave for a long time, eventually a student appeared. And the student begged Bodhidharma to teach him. And the story says that it was winter time and the student sat outside the cave in the snow and would ask Bodhidharma, will you teach me? And Bodhidharma sent him away. Came back again, will you teach me? Bodhidharma sent him away. Came back again and Bodhidharma heaped insults on him. There's no way you can learn this. Give up now, just go away. But the student didn't go away. 
And the student did something that is hard to understand, but to demonstrate how much he wanted to shed his suffering, he cut off his arm. Imagine that man cutting off his arm in the snow, snow turning red with the blood. Now, I hope this is a metaphor. You never know with these stories whether this is true or whether this is a metaphor. You know, maybe it's a metaphor for how much this man wanted to shed his suffering. Well, maybe it was true. I don't know. But when Bodhidharma saw this, he agreed to teach him. And here's what the student asked. <clears throat> I've studied. I've read. I've dedicated myself to becoming awake but my mind is not at peace. Please, bring me peace. Does that sound familiar? Haven't we all studied and read and dedicated ourselves to waking up, but our mind is not yet at peace? So this is a really heartfelt plea, I think, that this student gave Bodhidharma. And I, we look to our teachers and our methods and our sutras and all the things that we want to grasp onto to learn Zen, to find our way out. But it somehow doesn't quite work. It might be an important part of it, but it's not enough. So Bodhidharma, being a very wise person, said this to the student, bring me your mind and I'll set it at peace. Bring me your mind, and I'll set it at peace. So the student set off, full of, well, one arm swinging anyway, um, set off on a, on a journey to find his mind. And he tried for a long, long time. And finally came back to Bodhidharma and said, I've searched everywhere for my mind, but my mind is unfindable. Mm, Bodhidharma said, ah, then I've put your mind at peace. Mm. In other words, put it another way, because sometimes these Zen stories are a little hard to make sense of. In other words, that student, like the professor, was asking for tea, was asking for something outside. But Bodhidharma showed him that he is, in fact, the empty teacup. It's not the tea that comes from out there. The student is the empty teacup. That is what he's learning. So those are the stories. Now, let's unpack the stories a little bit, because that could be kind of opaque, kind of opaque. What does it mean to be an empty teacup? The professor and Bodhidharma student both thought wisdom was found in the tea, right? If they could just drink enough tea, they would know enlightenment. The professor, for instance, had studied Buddhism and knew a great deal, knew the history, knew what the sutras meant and what they came, where they came from, but he didn't have freedom. He didn't have freedom. And the student, had learned all these things, but still didn't have freedom. Hmm. 
So both those Zen masters, Bodhidharma and the master with the professor, invited their students instead to embrace emptiness. To embrace emptiness. Not the fullness of putting more into your mind, but the emptiness itself. Zen is an exploration of the unknown. It is not an accumulation of knowledge. So learning Zen actually means unlearning what you thought you knew in order to make room for living the mystery of your life. It's unlearning what you thought you knew to make room for living the mystery of your life. Learning Zen means emptying your teacup so you can receive the tea of your life. I have to take a sip of tea. Well, the question would then come up, I would think, how do you empty your teacup? What does that mean? How do we actually do that? It's one thing to say, empty your teacup. Well, what do you actually do to empty your teacup? Every teacher teaches this a little bit differently. So Thich Nhat Hanh, for instance, he asks his students when facing something, some idea, in their mind, to ask themselves, am I sure? Am I sure? He's saying, empty out your ideas so that your teacup has room to receive. Am I sure? Empty the teacup. He, he had another way of talking about it too, among many. The other one was uh, arriving home in the here and now. So when you arrive home in the here and now, you empty your teacup of the future and the past so you can drink the present moment. Empty your teacup of the future and past. Drink now. And how about our old friend Lin Chi, the, the Zen master famous uh, back in the 8th or 9th century in China um, for kicks and shouts and blows. So he would give someone a kick in the chest or a slap and he would be telling them, empty your teacup of everything but this. This thing you're living right now. Everything but that. Empty it. Smack. And just one more teacher I want to I wanna cite here. Joshu, another great Chinese Zen master, Joshu. He's famous for asking the same question of everyone who visited the monastery, new or old, students, masters, beginners. He'd say something like, have you had your breakfast? If they said yes, he'd say, good, then go wash your bowl. What he's saying there is empty out 
your teacup so you can welcome every detail of your life. Washing your bowl, making your bed. This is learning Zen. That's the teacup. So if an empty teacup is so important, then what about the tea? What's the meaning of the tea? For a teacup to have use, it has to hold some tea. They go together. So then we take the middle way. We don't throw out all the tea and take just the teacup. We don't throw out the teacup and take just the tea. We have to have them both. Tea is the moment-to-moment -moment experience of your life. Tea is the moment-to-moment -moment experience of your life. The tea is brushing your teeth. The tea is washing your car. The tea is sweeping up the crumbs off the kitchen floor or feeding the dog or any of the myriad things that you do with your life. That's the tea. Our Zen practice is a kind of tea. Our practice forms are a kind of tea. For instance, when I came in the meditation hall this evening, I bowed when I came in the door. That's my tea. We chant together. We chant the dedication of merit at the end of our sitting. That's the tea. We sit on the cushion and we follow our breath. The in-breath receives the tea and the out-breath empties the cup. And the in-breath receives the tea and the out-breath empties the cup. Zen practice is balanced in that way. We can have the teacup and the tea. We study the sutras, for instance. We commit them to memory so that their taste and fragrance are available to us whenever we need them. And then when we're done studying the sutras, we just take the remainder of the tea in our cup and we feed the jade plant over by the window. We empty our cup again. We come and sit on our cushion. We let the thoughts and the sensations flow in and out of our teacup. We hold on to nothing and we turn away nothing. Our cup fills and empties with every experience this pain in my knee, filling the teacup, letting it go, emptying the teacup. At its core, our practice trains us to be the teacup. 
empty, receptive, clean, So the real question I guess I need to get back to is, how do I learn Zen, especially as a new practitioner? Some Zen traditions offer very little instruction. Can you see why that is? After, after we're thinking about a Zen practice as emptying our teacup, we might see why they offer such little instruction because any more than a little is too much tea, like the professor wanted. Japanese Zen in particular will offer very simple instructions such as sit down, breathe, and don't move. That's it. That's what you get. Seems very direct to me. And if, if you are actually an empty teacup, that's really the heart of the matter. Sit down, breathe, don't move. You are an empty vessel, ready to receive. But our minds don't really like this. Our minds don't want to be an empty vessel. They want tea. And they want a lot of it all the time. So our, our minds say, no, give me a program to learn. I want a list. I want, I want a bibliography. I want, you know, give me all that stuff. Show me the secret sauce. There's got to be some secret sauce here. You're just holding it back. Or if you're the professor, you know, really asking for more tea in an already full cup. But ultimately, that doesn't help you nearly as much as sit down, breathe, don't move. That is a very direct way to learn Zen. Now, our tradition likes to offer some really tasty tea. We have Dharma talks, and we have Dharma sharing, we have spiritual friendship, we have walking meditation, we have even committee meetings like we had today for our practice and care committee. It's some tasty tea. But if we're going to receive that tea, we have to empty our own teacups. Otherwise, we can't receive it. So actually, a new person learning Zen has a big advantage because they have beginner's mind. And beginner's mind is really the best time to have an empty teacup because you don't know. It's lovely. The trouble with it is, when you sit with beginner's mind, at first, it feels very vulnerable and frightening. I don't know this. I'm going to look, appear stupid. I don't know what to do. Everyone else knows what to do. What about me? I've got to learn all this stuff. So that feels vulnerable and frightening. But the more you sit with this beginner's mind, the more you sit as an empty teacup, what was vulnerability begins to feel like freedom. Begins to feel like 
you are there to receive your life in all its richness because your cup is empty. It's gorgeous. And then the other question that came to me that's related to this is, can a new person participate fully in the Sangha? Because a new person might feel like they don't know very much. So how could I possibly participate? I have to defer to the people who know more. And my answer to that is, can I participate as a new person? Absolutely. Absolutely. The only difference between a new practitioner and a long-term practitioner is how quickly they've learned to empty their teacup. You know, a, a long-term practitioner really knows how to empty the teacup right away and be ready for what comes next. A newer practitioner is not used to it as much yet, so their teacup's a little fuller more of the time. But it doesn't matter where you are on that continuum. It really doesn't. We all learn from each other. We all teach each other. And at a deep fundamental level, we all need each other. We can't wake up by ourselves. So there's room for all of us, no matter where we are, to step forward and do what's in front of us. We don't know if it's right. None of us know if it's right. Our cup is empty. We don't have that knowledge. But we do have that trust that, ah, oh, I have the insight. I put my right foot down there. Now, empty my cup. Oh, there's some tea that goes in. Okay, that seems left foot there. And that's what we do together. Doesn't matter if we're new or old, long term or beginners. So, my invitation is to all of us don't hesitate. Step forward and participate fully. Just be sure to keep your teacup as empty as you can. So, that's how we learn Zen. We learn Zen in a completely counterintuitive way. We're like Bodhidharma, leaving behind what the culture does, what we've grown to know in our lives, and we go and we sit and face the wall. We empty ourselves. We empty our teacup, and then we receive, and we empty, we receive, and we empty. And it's not in the accumulation of tea that we learn Zen. It's in the emptying of the cup.